Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We are continuing this morning in our series of the Holy Spirit, and this morning we'll be talking about this uh, topic called conviction. Um, and I think it comes at kind of an apt time as we are kind of reflecting on the past and we're thinking about where is God calling us to move forward? Where is God calling us to make changes in our lives? And I just thought it was really cool how the Holy Spirit brought it together that this morning we'd be talking about conviction as we're probably also thinking about, you know, in what ways is God maybe speaking to us to grow in this new year? Um, and so it's not a place where we're saying, hey, I'm, we're going to make resolutions because our resolutions are, tend to be based on our own will, on our own gut, and they last maybe about three days. But this is about ask, hearing from God what God really wants to say to us and really wants to ch- change in us and allowing him to do that work within us. <clears throat> and so this morning as we, as we talk about conviction, as we, we say this word conviction, I don't know about you, but it's kind of, it's kind of a sharp and prickly word. Like you, what, even when it comes off your tongue, conviction, it just sounds sharp. It kind of hits you in the gut a little bit. I don't know about you, but kind of kind of makes my stomach churn just a little bit. Like it's not not super easy, like conviction. And normally that's when you feel it, right? You feel this thing in your gut when you're convicted, and you end up not feeling super awesome. Um, and this word conviction in the New Testament, in the Greek, it's called aleho. And I don't I don't necessarily love bringing up the Greek in <laughs> in sermons because I don't want you guys to think that you need to have like this decoder ring to understand the Bible, to be like, oh, if, if I just knew the Greek, you know, then I would know something deeper. But I bring it up because this word oleho, which means to convict, is also translated in different places of the Bible where it doesn't mean necessarily conviction, but it'll also be translated in places where it will mean rebuke, or it will mean confront, or it will mean illuminate, or bring light to, or it will mean reprove. And so this word has a vast meaning to it, that doesn't mean just convict. But at the end of the day, the idea is still the same. The idea is that this word that the Bible uses for conviction means to rebuke, to confront, to bring light to. And if we're honest, these are kind of prickly and uncomfortable words too, right? I mean, we don't love being rebuked, right? I mean, rebuke, the word kind of rhymes with puke, right? I mean, (laughs) and maybe that's how you feel when you know that you have to go confront somebody, you are not very comfortable with it because confronting somebody means that you have to be active. It means you're going to take a risk of the relationship. Maybe it's a lot more easier to remain passive. It's all, it's all very, very uncomfortable. No matter how you try and like translate the word, it's just all uncomfortable stuff. It all has to do with confrontation. It all has to do with bringing to light things that we are trying to remain hidden. And so what we find, though, is that one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit is for him to do this job of conviction in our lives. And I would say that this work of the Holy Spirit that brings us some discomfort, that makes our stomachs turn a little bit, might be one of the primary reasons we don't spend a lot of time with the Holy Spirit. Is that we go to the Holy Spirit and we feel his conviction, and we say, oh, whoa, 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 I don't, I don't like that. 
I love the whole peace and love. I love, I love the warmth. I love the warmth of what that is, but, but man, I don't like that sharpness. I don't like that prickliness of, of the conviction. And so, Holy Spirit, uh, I'll see you later. And uh, maybe, maybe we'll circle back again sometime when I can handle it. But, but I really don't like what I'm hearing from you right now. I really don't like the way that you are confronting me in my life right now. But what I find is the more and more I've studied this idea of conviction, the more and more I've studied the work of the Holy Spirit in conviction, the more I have seen conviction as an incredible gift of grace from God. And so that's our very first point on the outline is that conviction is a gift. Conviction is an incredible gift from our God because this gift of conviction tells us that you and I, if left to our own devices, we are destitute. That you and I, we can't do anything right. That's a really hard thing to accept. But it's a really hard thing that we need to accept if we're going to move to this place of accepting Jesus as our Savior. Because that's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to save us from our destitution. And so in this destitution, we realize that we are unable to save ourselves. And it leads us to Jesus. It leads us to the cross where we can be reconciled with God, where we can grow in deeper relationship with God and also with others. And in this series, we found that the Holy Spirit is helper. We've got God the Father, God the Son, and Jesus, Jesus who has redeemed us. And then we have God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is this helper. He has come to help us in this life. And so he's come to bring to light to us things that we are holding in darkness. He's come to here to help us out and convict us of our sins and of our unrighteousness. And what I find most amazing about the work of the Holy Spirit and his role as convictor is that he doesn't come only for the believer, but he comes for the entire world. So this gift of the Holy Spirit as convictor is for everyone. It is for the entire world. If you guys go to John chapter 16, the very first verse (laughs) that we're looking at, John chapter 16, verse 7 through 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he is letting them know what it's going to be like when the Holy Spirit comes. And this is what he tells them. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning their sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. So the Holy Spirit has come to convict the entire world, you and me included, of their sin and of their unrighteousness, which is namely our unbelief. It's namely our lack of faith. And we ought not to... (laughs) shade away from this conviction because this conviction is a gift and it is good news it is good news because without the conviction of the holy spirit coming to the world you and i would not be here today without the conviction of the holy spirit working in the world you and i would have not come to faith in jesus christ without the work of the holy spirit you and i would not have come to know true life that God has brought through his Son. 
Without this conviction, you and I would have just remained in our idolatry and we would have remained condemned in our unbelief. The work of Christ would have been for naught had not the Holy Spirit come and convicted us of our sin. And we recognized our place of destitution and accepted the good news and the life that Jesus Christ gives us in return. We would have remained condemned in our unbelief. And we see this in John chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. But he is not, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so that's where we're at. This is where we came from. This is where you and I came from. And this is where the rest of the world is at. We stand condemned. And Oswald Chambers, he said, one of the greatest spiritual blessings that we can receive in all of life is the acknowledgement of our destitution. Because it's from this place of destitution where we are prime for Jesus Christ to come and save us. And to save us is his heart's. It is his heart's desire because God does not want to leave us here in this place of condemnation. Because if you go up two verses ahead, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish and have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so oftentimes when we think of conviction and we hear the word condemnation, we think that God enjoys condemning people, or that God is enjoying this work of conviction in our life, that this conviction is a punishment. But that is not it at all. God's heart is for life, and it's to show us love, and it's to save us. It's to save us from this place of condemnation. God's heart is for that all men might be saved. And he not only gives his son, but he also gives the Holy Spirit to come into the world and to convict the world of their sin and of their unrighteousness so they might know him. And so this is the gospel. This is the good news that we talk about. When we talk about making much of Jesus and we talk about being a church of the gospel, it is about proclaiming what God has done for us on our behalf and the Holy Spirit coming to convict us of our sin is a massive role in the gospel. It is a massive role in us being saved from ourselves. It should also give us great hope for those who are still far off, for those who are still lost. Because I know that we have friends, we have family members, we have co-workers who we love and who are far off and we're like, man, I just, I just wish that they knew this truth. And you can take heart in the fact that the Holy Spirit is pursuing them relentlessly and convicting them of their sin. Just as you were pursued, just as I was pursued, just as this church was pursued by the Holy Spirit to know Jesus Christ, to know true life, He is still at work in the world. And that is really, really good news. <clears throat> in this conviction, whether it's the believer or the unbeliever, the thing that the Holy Spirit is doing, He is convicting us and he's trying to move us towards righteousness, no matter where we're at. So whether we're the, one of the worst people in the world or one of the best people in the world, however you want to rate that in your mind, the Holy Spirit's job is the same. It's the same for both men. It's the same for the worst and the best, and that is to move them in the direction of righteousness, to move them 
into loving what God loves. This is what it means for the Holy Spirit to come and convict the world. And when you think of this idea of conviction, the, whole, the work of the Holy Spirit doesn't just end at kind of pointing out where we are destitute. But that's just kind of the beginning. Oftentimes we think of people that are saved and unsaved. We think of kind of this kind of binary, like there are those saved people and then there's the unsaved people in the world. And the Bible kind of sets up these distinctions. But as we think of this work of conviction, how it truly plays out, it seems like the Holy Spirit has the singular job of moving us in the direction of righteousness. And so when you think about it, this moving people in the direction of righteousness, no matter where they're at, saved, unsaved, in the middle, this movement of unrighteousness to righteousness, what does that sound like? That sounds a lot to me like the act of discipleship. And so when Jesus is resurrected, he gives the disciples this command to, as you are going throughout your life, be making disciples. And then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and so when you think about it, this idea of discipleship, this idea of the Holy Spirit convicting is not necessarily about saved and unsaved, getting people saved, but it's about moving people one step closer in righteousness. One step closer in righteousness. And what I love about this idea of discipleship is that it starts on the side of unbelief. Discipleship starts over here as you are going. Disciple people. Move them in these steps towards righteousness. And then you have this moment of baptism, this moment of kind of conversion, but then there's this idea of continuing in discipleship because discipleship just doesn't end there at becoming saved. Discipleship is this lifelong task and it is this lifelong work of the Holy Spirit to continually convict us and disciple us and to move us into greater relationship and righteousness with God. And so when, so when we continue on the other side, First Peter encourages us saying, you know, because you've been saved, because the Holy Spirit is working in your life, therefore be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these things, you will never fail. You will never fail. So the Holy Spirit, in his conviction, in his discipling us, he's saying, hey, as you're going, make disciples. As you're going, continue yourself to be discipled and move towards righteousness. And so when we hear the Holy Spirit speak, the purpose of the Holy Spirit speaking to us and convicting us oftentimes is to bring to light something that we have kept hidden for the purpose of growing us in righteousness and ultimately with greater fellowship and intimacy with the Father. And this is a gift. This is a gift that we have that our darkness might be revealed and that we might be led by the Holy Spirit into true life. And the beautiful thing is that when we hear God speak, when we hear the conviction of God come into our lives, it's a beautiful thing because, number one, God is speaking. And if God is speaking, what does that mean about the relationship that God has with us? It means that he's near. If God was speaking and he was far away, he'd be like having to shout. He might vaguely hear it, but man, I don't know about you, but when I hear conviction, it's in my heart. It's very close. It's very near. It's very intimate. 
And he does it in a way that says that he loves us. And he does it in a way that's almost overwhelming. You know, although we try to deny it, although we try to push it down and we say, I don't want to deal with that today. We hit the snooze button on, I'll deal with it tomorrow. There is no doubt that we cannot say that God did not speak, that God was not near, and that we were in his presence. And all of those things are gifts. That our God would come to us, that he would speak to us, that he would have an intimate relationship with us, and that he would allow us to be in his presence. We don't think about that when we think of conviction, do we? We just think about that painful feeling. We don't think that about the gift that it is that God is near and that God is speaking and that God wants to be in deep, intimate relationship, that he loves us. And I know that in the middle of all this talk about conviction, it can be really easy to confuse the voice of conviction with this voice of condemnation. It's very easy to hear, you know, convict, change this, change this, change this. Maybe you've got a checklist in your mind. You're like, well, I need to do this better. I need to do this better. And then you're just like, I'm exhausted. I can't do that. I can't make all these changes at once. And we feel overwhelmed and we begin to feel condemned. But this voice of condemnation is not from our God. This voice of condemnation is from the devil. And he would love nothing more for you to hear it and to believe it. But we need to ignore that voice and we need to listen to the one true voice that is coming from our God that is affirming that you and I are sons and daughters of the King. And I believe that when the Holy Spirit does come and does convict, he doesn't hit us with an overwhelming list of things. Oftentimes it's it's one thing. He deals with us kind of like at a one thing at a time basis. And maybe he's been trying to work on you on one thing for a long time. And maybe it's just you've been hitting the snooze button on it. But I believe that when the Holy Spirit comes and he comes to convict and he comes to correct, it's not this to hit us over the head and overwhelm us. But it's to lead us into healing, into deeper relationship, into deeper joy. And so we need to ignore the voices of condemnation and we need to hear the voice that comes from our Father. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, And I know them, and they follow me. And so listen to the shepherd's voice. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is also to advocate to us that we are sons and daughters of the King. And that that is who we are, is that the Holy Spirit comes and advocates that we are not condemned, that we are secured by Christ. And the beautiful thing is that when we feel conviction come, especially those who are saved, especially when it is painful conviction, in many ways it is the Holy Spirit doing his job to affirm to us that we are God's sons and daughters. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 11. This is such an illuminating passage. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. And it affirms to us that this conviction is because we are God's sons and daughters. He says this, he says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? So he's kind of pushing into that. Like, have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten that you are not sons and daughters of the Most High God? He said, my son and daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not be wary when reproved by him. Now this word reproved is the same word as convict. So do not become weary 
when convicted by him. See, the author of Hebrews knows. He knows that when conviction comes, we can get tired, that we can get worn out, that we can start to listen to other voices that are condemning us. But he says, don't forget that you're called the son and daughter, and don't grow weary when conviction comes, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. For it is discipline that you have to endure, that God is treating you as sons. For what a son, for what son is there whom the father does not discipline? For if you are left without discipline in all of which that we have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we might share his holiness. See, he also recognizes that when we hear this word discipline, we can kind of like, it feels prickly again. It feels like I want to take a step back. We have pictures of our own fathers disciplining us in ways that did bring pain that was not for our best good. But he says, our heavenly father disciplines us for our good, that we might share in his holiness. And it says this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields this fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And this is where I'm saying the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit is moving us towards righteousness. And this author of Hebrews is also honest enough to say the thing that we all want to say, and that is that conviction hurts. Conviction is painful. And that's my second point this morning, is that conviction, although it is a gift from God and is a beautiful gift, it hurts. I mean, he even says it in 11 here. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. So when conviction does come, it's a pain, but it's a healthy pain. It's kind of like when you put your hand over the stove and you feel that it's hot. It says, whoa, don't go there. <clears throat> I think the number one reason why discipline is unpleasant is that it's a personal attack against our pride. And it's received as kind of this personal threat. It's this personal offense against me and the way that I wanted to do things and the way that I saw fit. And I don't know about you, but I hate being wrong. And I hate being told that I'm wrong. And so, but this is what conviction does. It confronts us and it says, hey, you know where you thought that you were right? You're wrong. You know what's also worse is when you know that you're doing something wrong and then somebody comes along and tells you, hey, you're doing something wrong. You're like, oh, I got caught. Oh, I knew that that was wrong. I was just trying to get away with it. I was just hoping that no one would notice. And so we get defensive and we put our guard up. And oftentimes that ends up putting a wall up in that relationship. And that's why we fear confronting somebody. This is why we fear rebuking somebody is because we're afraid that they're going to get defensive, that they're going to throw up a wall and that'll be that and they're going to be mad at us and they're not going to be our friend anymore. I mean... I know that sounds childish, but like that, I think that's what goes through our head, is that we're afraid of confrontation. <clears throat> and so we let people kind of toil in their pain, toil in their wrong decisions, because we're afraid that they might get defensive. And they might. It's natural. I get defensive. 
Lately, <laughs> I have been kind of rolling through stop signs. So <laughs> in our neighborhood, there's a lot of stop signs. I don't love stopping at all the stop signs. So I've gotten into this bad habit of just kind of rolling through them. And not, not just the rolling through them in the neighborhood, but like rolling through them anywhere. Like it started in the neighborhood, but now it's got to the point to like any intersection with a stop sign, I would start looking in advance and be like, okay, I don't need to like really stop. And they all turned into yields. And my wife noticed this one day. And Rebecca's like, Justin, you need to stop at the stop signs. And you know what I was like? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Like, I'm like, I can see it. She's like, no, like, I would really, I really would like it if you would stop at the stop signs. I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, kind of it, it, to myself, uh, not to her, but to myself. I was like, yeah, 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 it's fine. I'm a good driver. Like, sure, I'll stop at the ones that are important. <laughs> So I keep rolling through stop signs. A couple weeks later, Rebecca comes to me again, and she's like, I would, I would really like it if you would stop at the stop signs. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, kind of hit the snooze button. I mean, how many of us do this with God, right? Like, we feel him. He comes, convicts us. I mean, that's what she's doing. She's convicting me of my wrong. I know that I'm wrong. I'm like, it's no big deal. And she's like, no, it's, it's kind of a big deal to me. And I wish, I, wish that you would, I wish that you would stop doing that. But it just so happened that the other day, her and I were in the car. We were at a stop sign. And we were the second car. It was too deep. So I was the second car. And it was impossible at this intersection to get out. And then there was a break in traffic. And the first car went. And I'm like, I'm going with that car. I'm not stopping. I get halfway out in the middle of the intersection. Rebecca's like, stop, stop, car, car, car. And I slam on the brakes, and she's like, there was a car there. And it, what had happened is that it had stayed, you know, that blind spot right where the windshield and the passenger side meet? That car was in that blind spot the entire time. And for as cocky as I thought I was, it was at nighttime where I thought I'd be able to see them even better because we all have headlights. I was like, I did not see them the entire time. And I would have I I T-boned this car had she not been there to tell me to stop. And then there was tension. <laughs> She's like, I told you to stop at the stop signs. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Should probably stop at the stop signs. And so now I've gotten to this habit of stopping at the stop signs. But she would like you to know. She was not here. She would like you to know that I ran a stop sign yesterday. It was one of those yield ones. You're making a right-hand turn on the PD. It's a stop sign, but I'm like 90% of the time it's a yield, so I just like blew right through that one. But and I was like, oh, she's like, yeah, you're really working on it. I was like, no, I am. I really am. I really am. She wanted you to know the honest truth. <laughs> but I'm still in the middle of repenting on this one. But I tell you all this to, to say that like when she confronted me, when she confronted me, she told me that she was confronting me because she loved me. It wasn't because she wanted to be picky about my driving skills. She didn't want to critique the way that I was driving. I think sometimes as men, when our wives critique the way that we're driving, we get even more defensive. We're like, I know how to drive. But she was, she was confronting me because she loved me. She's confronting me because she didn't want Benjamin or our family to end up in an accident. So she didn't convict me for the sake of punishment. She was actually doing it for the exact opposite reason. She was convicting me 
to avoid punishment. She's confronting me to avoid this punishment of getting in an accident. And my motivation to yield to her conviction ought to be greater than the punishment of getting into an accident, even though that's the natural consequence. Rather, the reason why I should yield to the conviction that Rebecca was giving me was because she's my wife. And it's because of the relationship that we have. When I blew her off the first time, I showed grave disrespect to her. And I'm sure that she felt that. I'm sure that she felt the disrespect. Especially when she had to come back and ask me a second time to only get blown off yet again. And so there's kind of this wall building between this relationship between her and I over stop signs. But she's like, I really want you to yield. And so she's convicting me because of the consequences, but I should yield to the conviction, not because of the consequences, but because of the relationship. But because I respect my wife, but because I see my wife's counsel as wise, because I love her. And so the conviction, and the conviction that comes from our God, it comes in light of consequences. It comes in light of real consequences. And that's that leading us to righteousness part that I was talking about earlier. But it actually does so much more than that, in that when conviction comes, it actually has more to do with the relationship that is confronting you than it does the consequences. And this is where we get to grow in the relationship part. Remember, when God convicts us, it is against the consequences, but it's primarily so he can grow in deeper relationship with us. And even though there is tension in that moment where there was tension and there was frustration because I did not stop at the stop sign, there was also a moment of confession, there was a moment of repentance, and there was a moment where everything that was standing in the, between my wife and I because of the disrespect that I had shown that all melted away. And we were able to grow in deeper relationship to one another because I finally yield to that conviction. And so when God convicts us, it is for the same purpose. It's for growing us in righteousness, but it is also for deepening our relationship with him. And so the most basic form of conviction, the most basic way that we can look at conviction I think, is this question, and we do this in our discipleship group, so we ought to be doing it in our discipleship group, and it is this question of, what is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? What is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? And what often happens is that we don't like what we hear when God speaks to us. Our pride says, yeah, 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 and we hit the snooze button. And our relationship with God suffers because of that. And I think conviction is painful because it, a- it asks us to act. I think many of us are programmed to be passive. But when we ask the question of how is God speaking to us and what are you going to do about it, it forces us to move from passivity into action. And to get that inertia, that kinetic energy moving is a- requires a ton of force and a ton of energy, and it can be painful, and it can be difficult, especially when our pride is hurt in the process. But that's why it's there. That's why the conviction is there, is to jumpstart us 
into this action. And so this morning, I just want to ask, when was the last time you heard clearly from God? Just crystal clear. You knew that it was the voice of God. And my question is, is when you heard it, what did you do? What did you do? How did you respond? <clears throat> There's this odd story in the Old Testament. And it's about this prophet Elijah. And he's with some people, and they're clearing some trees along the Jordan River to build a house. And when they're cutting down these trees, the most peculiar thing happens. I'm just going to read the text. It's from 2 Kings. And this will relate in just a second. But just be here with me in this, this strange story of the Old Testament. And so they're cutting down trees. And it says this. It says, but as one was felling a log, his axe had fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. And then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick, and he threw it there, and he made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. And so he reached out his hand, and he took it. Peculiar story. They're cutting down trees. Axe head flies off. He's like, Oh my goodness, it was borrowed. I need my ex head. The man of God, the prophet Elijah, is like, oh, where did it fall? He's like, oh, over here. He's like, here, let me cut a stick. Oh, look, it floated. You can take it back. Weird story. And that, that's like where it ends. Like the Bible just jumps to a next, to like another narrative. It's just kind of like thrown in there randomly. And it's this kind of like complex, strange story. We're like, why is it in there? And the sages over time have kind of coined this passage as the floating axe head principle. And so when it comes to this point of the story, when the axe head flies into the river and the prophet asks him, where did it fall? The man shows him the place where the axe head falls, and then he reaches down and picks it up. And this principle is kind of from this question. The prophet asks, where did it fall? Where did the axe head fall? And this question kind of lines up to this idea of where did God speak last? Where was it? Can you point to that? Can you return to that place? And from the command, take it up. As the axe head rises, we get this question, go, or we get this command almost, go do as God has spoken. And so this is the axe head principle. And if you think about it, that prophet, in restoring the axe head, did a ton of restoration in that moment. Because if you think about it, the man was borrowing an axe. The axe broke. Now he can't do his job, and his relationship with his friend that he borrowed it from is in jeopardy. The man of God goes, raises the axe out of the water, restores the axe, but also restores the relationship that he had with his friend that was borrowing it. And I believe that that's what conviction is like. God is asking, well, where did it fall? Where did I speak to you last? Oh, there it is. Take it up. Now go do with it that I have commanded you to do. Because I believe that when God speaks and when God convicts us, he doesn't just leave us to be like, oh man, what should I do with that? Normally there's like a very clear answer that comes with that very clear conviction. And normally it's just us not wanting to do that thing. Normally it's us, we're just like staring at the axe head and we're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to pick that up. I don't know if I want that restoration. P bending over is too laborious. But that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling us so that we might have 
restoration in our relationships, not only with him, but (coughs) with one another. And just think about the joy. Think about the joy that came when that axe had came floating up and it was restored. See, when God convicts us, it is often for our benefit and for our joy. And so you might be wondering, what does God say when he speaks? And I, I could say he says a number of things. And I can't tell you what he's speaking to you. But I would say that it is things that moves us in greater righteousness and greater fellowship with him. And I think that we need to expand our horizons maybe on what God might be convicting us of, especially in like a moment-to-moment basis. Because I think sometimes we think that God's job is to convict us of like deep moral feelings. And he definitely is. He's definitely here to convict us of those things. But sometimes he's here to convict us of like little things. Like maybe you're walking along in Target and you see like a display kind of like scattered out. And it's kind of destroyed. And you walk by, and you know, somebody could walk by and not feel a thing, not be convicted by God. Maybe you walk by, you see that toppled down, and you feel like, oh, somebody should pick that up. And you keep walking. Glad that somebody's not me. But you felt it. You felt like somebody should pick that up. And you even heard God say, that should probably be you. Even though, but then you justify it, and you're like, oh, but they hire people to do that. But Jesus is like, yes, but I've called you to be a servant, to serve others no matter where you find yourself. And then picking up that display, even though there's someone's job to pay for it, to do it, you are serving the people that are meant to serve you. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he washes the disciples' feet. It could also be a place in your marriage and the way that you treat your spouse. Because I think all of us, especially those who are married, have had those moments with their spouse that I've had in the car about stop signs. And it was less about stop signs than it was my heart's position towards my wife. And that pains me to have to confess that to you guys, that that's the way it was. That in that moment, I did not respect her. In that moment, that said more about me than it did anything else. So maybe God's convicting us about our marriages. Maybe he's convicting us about the way we treat our kids. But maybe he is just convicting us about something stupid at Target that we can just pick up and move on. I think that God speaks to us in moment-to-moment basis. And I think he convicts us of all types of things. And I think that at times we might become convicted of things that we're not even sure why we're being convicted of. Michael Leeson shares the story of When he was a uh, young adult, he was playing this rated M video game. And he's like, I normally don't have a problem with like, you know, whether it's moral, not moral. He's like, but he's like in this video game, I was shooting up some people um, in this city that looked like Miami. And he's like, and then he's like, I really felt God saying, I don't want you to play this game. And he's like, I don't know why God was telling me not to play it. He's like, I don't think it's, you know, moral, not moral. He's like, it's kind of gray area, but he's like, I heard God specifically tell me to not play it. He's like, so I went and I threw away the disc. He's like, and then a couple years later, he's like, I ended up in Miami, the real city of Miami. And he's like, and we're driving around and I keep seeing the type of people that I was shooting in this video game. 
And he's like, and I realized that in that moment of God convicting me to not play that game, he was preparing me for so much bigger things that I might actually have heart and compassion for these people instead of this numbing effect that this video game caused in me shooting them up. He's like, God was at work preparing me for this trip to Miami in which I was on mission. And so wherever God is calling you, wherever he's convicting you, you might think, oh, it's to avoid this circumstance in this place for this reason, or to avoid this <laughs> consequence, or to grow my relationship specifically here right now in the media. But I want to challenge you. I believe that God's imagination and God's reasonings for convicting us are oftentimes much larger than what we can ever see in that moment. I heard a man once who shared that he was addicted to pornography, which is obviously a, a moral failing. But what he ended up doing is that one day, God was using him to set <coughs> sex trade slaves, victims free. I mean, what an incredible story of redemption to take a man that was so broken that was using women in that way to then redeem him, to convict him because God had greater plans to actually set those women free. The devil hates that. That God would be able to redeem us in that such strong way. And so whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that you've been hitting the snooze button on, know that God is calling you because he loves you. He's calling you because he wants to move you towards righteousness. And he's calling you for plans that are much greater than we could ever dream of. And so it's my hope that we would see conviction this morning as a gift. That we'd see it as a painful gift, but we would see it as a gift that is good news. That it become a welcomed pain. And we see this in David, in Psalm 139. David prays this prayer to the Holy Spirit, and he tells the Holy Spirit, Search me, O God, and know me. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me into the way of everlasting. This Psalm 139 is a beautiful psalm on how God intimately knows us and loves us and cares for us and knows us even from the beginning of being knit together in our mother's womb. And so as David is reflecting on this intimacy that he has with God, as this deep relationship that he has with him, he is inviting God to know him deeper, to know him even further. He asks him to know my heart. Search me. Find any way that I grieve you. And God, lead me. He's humbling himself. He says, not only do I want you to show me where I am wrong, but I then want you to lead me into the ways that are right, into deeper relationship with you. Sometimes when I've read this verse, this search me, O God, and know me, try my heart to know my thoughts, see if there's any grievous way in me, I, w I always kind of felt like David was a little bit braggy here, that he was kind of boasty. He's like, try me, search me, see if there's any grievous way in me. Kind of like this assumption of, of course there's not. Lead me in the way of everlasting. But that's not what's happening here. David is humbling himself before God, and he is saying, Oh God, search me and know me. I want to be known by you. Lead me into intimate relationship with us. In this prayer, David is asking 
for this way of everlasting, or as the author of Hebrews put it, the peace of fruit of righteousness. David is saying, here I am. Full transparency. You can see it all. The good, the bad, the ugly. It is all here. And it's all in the open. Yep, Bathsheba, I did that. Yep, you can see it. My lust problems over here with women before Bathsheba, yep, you can see that too. It's to have it wide open. Because when we're wide open, it's how God is going to be able to transform us and heal us. And so it's my heart this morning that we would have our heart changed towards conviction. That instead of conviction being this sharp and prickly and nauseating, inducing experience, that we would begin to see it as the great gift that it is. And that our hearts would be filled with confidence and peace. And that we would know the joy of a transparent life. Where we are covered by the incredible love and grace of our God. Even when it's ugly even when it's most ugly. I love this, this verse in Psalm 139. It says, Where should I go from your spirit, O God? Even in the depths, in the darkest place, dark becomes light to you. The Holy Spirit knows us. Knows us better than we even know ourselves. Knows even the darkest, ugliest places. And yet he still chooses to love us. He still chooses to send his son. He still says, you are worth it to me. And so we need to open up those dark places. We need there to be conviction for light to come so that we might allow those areas to be covered by grace and love through our Savior Jesus. And so it's my belief that conviction is not to beat you down. And if that's the way you feel about conviction, I hope that it has changed, that Conviction is not here to beat us down. It's not to, here to leave us undone. Conviction is, yes, to lead us to this place of saying, I have nothing good to offer. That's when Jesus says, good. Now we can work with something. Now we can do something. Now I can heal you. Now I can make you whole. So the at the end of the day, conviction is designed for our ultimate benefit and our ultimate joy that we might be restored in Christ. I want to say, what an incredible way to start the new year by just asking this question. God, where are you speaking? And what should, what should I do about it? And I want to ask you to press into that question deep enough that you might hear clearly and act clearly. But I also want to caution you from not diving in too deep into that question to where you become <clears throat> paralyzed in reflection. I think in seasons of reflection, sometimes we get to this place where we're like, all right, God, where are you speaking? And then our mind starts running. And instead of hearing the one clear laser voice of God, we begin to fill it with every inadequacy that we know that exists about us. And then we get overwhelmed and we get frustrated and we say, I can't do it anymore. And we hit the snooze button on all of them. And we keep going on with our lives. And so let us not become paralyzed in our reflection. But let us reflect enough so that we can work on one thing at a time. Because this life is a journey. And I believe that God is calling us to work on one thing at a time. 
And so I just implore you, go back. Where did the axe head fall into the water? Where did you hear God's voice speak most clearly last? Go to that place and start there and see where God calls you as you move forward. Maybe it will be at a restaurant as you go out from here. Maybe it will be to check your attitude as you wait on your server who's exhausted from last night. Maybe it will be to check your spouse. But maybe it's something that he's spoken to you months ago and has been speaking to you continually. I just hope that you don't have to blow through a stop sign first to get to that place of repentance. And so it's my prayer today that we would pray the prayer that David has given us. That God, you would search me, that you would know me, that you would try our thoughts and see where there are grievous ways in me and lead us into the way of everlasting. And so as we enter this time of response, we're going to have a time of (coughs) reflection and we're going to sing some worship songs. And I just want to ask in this time, where is God speaking to you? And where is he calling you to act? And in this time of reflection, we're going to take communion where we (coughs) celebrate Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, where his body was broken for us so that we might be saved and healed, where his blood was poured out for us, that we might have deep and intimate relationship with him. And then we give because God has given us so generously this gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift that is conviction. And so it's my hope that in this time that we would experience God, that we would hear him, that we would celebrate that he is speaking to us, that he is near, and that this is all very good news. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we get to come in and and kind of press in into the harder things. The things where kind of the rubber meets the road, where we acknowledge your voice, where we stop playing faith and we start living faith. God, give us the strength to do that. God, may you protect us from the voice of the enemy that would love us to feel only condemnation and exhaustion. God, encourage us to to yield where you're calling us to yield. God, give us the strength to do the things that you've called us to do. And God, lead us away from this temptation to only listen to your voice to avoid consequences. But God, that we might listen to your voice, that we might know you and have deeper, intimate relationship with you. That we would do these things out of love and respect and joy for you. And God, may we know your peace. God, may we know your peace. In your name we pray. Amen.